Hello, and welcome to today's edition of Tabernacle Today, a podcast maintained by the Tabernacle located in Danville, Virginia. The following sermon is by Dr. Danny Campbell, senior pastor at the Tabernacle, and was recorded during our Sunday morning service. Additional information about the Tabernacle can be found at our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. Our prayer is that you will be blessed by the Word of God today. Turn in your Bibles as we join Dr. Danny for another edition of Tabernacle Today. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 1, 1 Timothy chapter 1, and as you turn there, imagine that you were feeling very badly and you knew something just wasn't right. You knew you were sick. You suspected that you had something going on. And so you decided to go to a couple different doctors to get what the one said and then the other said. And the first doctor you went to uh, ran the test and did all the things and said, hey, I've just got bad news for you. Uh, You... Uh, have uh, a virus inside, you've got something spreading, and you are going to die. And the problem is really you. Uh, You're just not going to recover from it. And so just go on home, live the rest of your life however you want to, and that's it. And you said, well, I don't know about that. That's really harsh. Then the second day, you went to the next doctor, and the doctor ran the same tests and confirmed that, yes, indeed, there was something inside you that was spreading, and it was very serious. Uh, but the person said, the problem is not you, it's this virus that's growing inside of you. And I've seen this before, and I know what to prescribe, and if you take the prescription, it will cure you. Now, it's going to be tough. It's going to be like chemotherapy that kills what it needs to kill, so what can live, lives. Uh, But on the other side of that, there's going to be a new normal for you, and a grateful you, a thankful you, that will have much more life to live. Now, that second doctor sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Although that doctor has told you some of the same things as the first one. They just gave hope in the prognosis, right? I think about that first doctor and how that first doctor kind of represents Dr. Death, Satan. Represents condemnation. And Satan loves to keep people from ever turning to Jesus by focusing in on all that they can never become because of what they've done. He likes to get them caught up in their regrets of yesterday, their fears about tomorrow, and presently being enslaved to all that they're enslaved to, their sins. But the second doctor represents God the Holy Spirit. The second doctor represents conviction that the Holy Spirit brings to let someone know, yes, you have a sin problem, but yes, Dr. Jesus has taken care of your sin problem, and if you turn to the cure, you can receive more life than just what you've lived already. In fact, real life will begin, and then eternal life. Folks, in today's message, I'm going to start a new mini-series during this time. And over the next couple of months, I want us to face life with the Apostle Paul. You know, Paul dealt with many of the same things during his life that the rest of us do. Even though he was a great apostle and wrote 87 chapters of the Scriptures and appears in 15 more or so, uh, well over 100 when you put it all together, Uh, Paul faced some of the same things that we do, and he's very honest with us in the pages of the Scriptures. Uh, And we can find the answers the same place the Apostle Paul did, we're going to find out. Whether we're male or female, we can find the same hope, the same truth to live by that Paul lived. We're going to see Paul deal with 
a physical problem that he had. He called it a thorn in the flesh. It may have been poor eyesight, and um, he had to deal with that. We'll see him deal with his disagreements with others within the church when he reinforced the gospel and others wanted to play church and have just their kind in and not the other kind, and he kept reinforcing the gospel. We'll see Paul deal with the mistreatment and suffering he endured at the hands of others as he had to take the gospel to places it had not been. We'll see Paul deal with relational pain when he was isolated and away from others that were his friends and those that had blessed him in Christ. We'll see the problem he had with the celebrity preacher syndrome and how people wanted to compare him to other preachers and how he had to keep saying it's not about me or Apollos, it's about Jesus. We'll see him dealing with despair and dark thoughts. Paul speaks of several times when he was despairing of life, when he was so frustrated he just wanted to curl up and die, and yet he was able to go on because of God in his life. We'll see Paul face the sacrifices that he had to continue to make to get the gospel out and the weariness that comes from so much mental and physical exertion. We'll see Paul face his intense love for lost Jews and lost Gentiles and for the churches as they got, got established, the churches that he'd ministered to. We'll see Paul's dealing with his firm advocacy for equality and freedom in a world that can be so cruel and unkind and put so many barriers up between people. Paul wanted to rip them down, and his ministry was about that. We'll see Paul dealing with the final enemy, potential death. And because Paul had been crucified with Christ, and because Paul practiced dying a little bit each day, the final death wasn't going to be as big a deal for Paul. And he lets us know about that, which is pretty cool. So, 1 Timothy 1, verses 12 through 17, we're going to look this first time at when Saul became a believer. He went from being an unbeliever to being a believer. And so, verse 12 says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief, of whom I'm the biggest sinner. However, for this reason I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long-suffering, all patience, as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who is alone wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, let's first look at how Paul had answered God's call on his life. We look at verse 12 again. And Paul says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me. As we read through the over 100 chapters that have something to do with the Apostle Paul, one thing comes out loud and clear. Paul was a thankful man. He was a grateful man. God had worked in his life, and he wanted everybody to know it. Thanksgiving was every day for the Apostle Paul when he was experiencing great times of blessing, when he was experiencing great times of turmoil. He remained a thankful person. Paul never forgot how gracious God had been to him in forgiving his sin and replacing the hate that had been in his heart with love for God and love for others. 
and how thankful he was that God had a call on his life. God had enabled Paul. He'd empowered Paul. God had given Paul everything he needed to live a godly life in Christ Jesus and to do what Christ had called him to do as an apostle of Jesus Christ. God had been so much better to him than his sins deserve, and I can testify to that too. God's been so much better to me than I deserve, and you can testify to that too. Think about all the sins before salvation, but quite frankly, the sins since we've turned to Christ. And yet God is so gracious with us and patient with us and forgiving of us and moving us toward where we should be. He who began a good work in you, the scripture says, will be faithful to complete it. And we're all on this journey. We're all works in progress. Many of you have learned to show grace to others because of that grace that you've received from the Lord. And it is so wonderful to be able to do that. Now, I've always found this passage puzzling because Paul states on the one hand that God had found him faithful and put him into the ministry, but then he goes into details about his former life of sin and the faithfulness, the sinfulness, and, and I go, well, how, how are you faithful if you were sinful? And, and maybe uh, Paul is in uh, thinking of something like Romans 7 where he talks frankly about his ongoing struggle with sin. He said, there's an old nature inside me that does what I don't want to do and doesn't do what I know I ought to do now that I'm a believer. Um, you know, this struggle between the old guy and the new guy, the flesh and the spirit, the old nature and the new nature. Paul speaks frankly about that. Uh, that may be what's happening here, but I think what Paul has in mind when he speaks of faithfulness is, is very focused here. When Paul says God found him faithful, he is stating that he had said yes to what God wanted him to do with his life. I think that's the narrow context. It's not that he had been faithful and never committed any sins since coming to Christ, but that when God called, he said yes. And that's really what it's all about for a believer. Uh, for you, it may also be a call into full-time ministry. That may be the call that's on your life, or a call to serve in Awana, or a call to be a foster parent. Uh, there's a call tailor-made for you. Maybe it's a week-long assignment. Maybe it's a month-long assignment. Maybe it's a year-long assignment. Maybe it's a lifetime-long assignment. God has specific calls on us, but he's also got general calls on us. There's the call to salvation for every non-believer. For the believer, there's the call to be baptized. There's the call to learn about giving. There's the call to practice forgiveness, giving and receiving it. There's the call to discover your spiritual gift and use it for God's glory. And then he has specific calls for you. And whether or not you're faithful or unfaithful will be whether you say yes or no to God when he's clearly calling you to obedience from one of the general things in Scripture or a specific call on your life that you just can't get around. For some, it's full-time ministry. For others, it may very well be a specific assignment within the church or out there in the community saying yes to serve in God's pit crew and go out and build one of those houses or something like that. You know, I think about how much this passage looks like Isaiah chapter 6 that we looked at a couple months ago. God came to Isaiah. He forgave Isaiah's sins. Isaiah had an encounter with God. And remember what God said? Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And what did Isaiah say? Here am I. Send Johnny Mitchell. No, he said, here am I. Send me. Many times we can look on and say, you know what? God ought to do something about that. And maybe God's burdening your heart to be the one to answer the call, to be faithful and do something about that. God had called, Isaiah said yes. God had called, Paul said yes. God's calling you. 
Will you say yes or will you be unfaithful in that moment? Folks, you need to recognize this. Our yeses lead to growth and fruitfulness in our lives. When you say yes to God, you will continue to grow and you'll continue to be fruitful for the Lord. But when you say no, you will get into a holding pattern where not only will you feel intense frustration because you're not saying yes to God, but also you will fail to bear fruit that God has for you to bear. So, Paul had answered God's call on his life, and we are urged to answer the different calls God has on our life. But verse 13, he says what his greatest problem had been in the past. Paul's greatest problem had been unbelief. Look what he says there in verse 13. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. When Paul looked at what he had been formerly, he was astonished that God had called him into the ministry. (laughs) People, uh, that's me too. Man, I'm astonished when I think about where I was at before coming to know Christ, that God put his hand on me to save me and put me into the ministry. Oh, by the way, others have said that about me too. (laughs) And, uh, you know, and they say that about you. Oh, uh, they've made so many mistakes. They've had such a sinful past. God can't use them. But God is so good to us. Paul looked back on what he had been formerly. Folks, every saint of God has their formerly regrets. Some former things were before we came to know Christ. But other formerly things were things that happened after we were Christians. After we knew better and shouldn't have, but we did. And thank God for his grace. Thank God that he doesn't give up on it as he continues to grow us. I've experienced that grace you have. Folks, the Romans 7 struggle is real, but thank God for Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? Paul says he was formerly, and then he says three things. He was formerly a blasphemer, he says. Now, several places we read of how committed a Jew Paul was before he came to salvation. He was very proud that he was from the tribe of Benjamin the same tribe as the first Israel king, King Saul. He was very proud that he was of, his Jew, of, of being a model Jew. He says, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a Pharisee who had even left his home as a young man in Tarsus of Cilicia as a young man and studied under the great Rabbi Gamaliel in Jerusalem, one of the two best rabbis at the time. And Paul had got to go to boarding school and study under this man. And his parents had gladly probably sent him to go do that. No doubt when he got there, he preferred to use his Jewish name, Saul. See, he had multiple names like a lot of people did back then. Saul was his Jewish name, just like King Saul. Paul was his Roman name. And so when he went out to reach Roman cities, he later used Paul, but he was Saul of Tarsus. And he had been blameless in keeping the law. He worked as hard at it as anybody ever had. He said, he described himself as blameless according to the law, including the law not to blaspheme, not to take the Lord's name in vain. But when Paul came to realize that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God, God the Son, when Paul came to understand that, he understood, oh my goodness, I have said I do everything for God as a religious person, but I didn't recognize that Jesus is God and I have blasphemed God because I have rejected the deity of Jesus Christ. And many of you committed that same sin before coming to know Christ. Uh, I I used his name flippantly as a curse word and some of you did. Hopefully nobody does uh, today. 
but just casually saying his name as a curse word and blaspheming the name of the Lord, taking his name in vain. Because Jesus really is God, to reject him is to blaspheme. And Paul realized that that's what his life had been about. He says, but I was formerly that. He was also, he said, formerly a persecutor. Folks, there is a high likelihood, based on the dates when you look at it all, there's a high likelihood that Paul was a member of the Sanhedrin. It's not a certainty, but he may have been one of the ones that condemned Jesus as a criminal and then sent him on to the Roman officials. There's a high likelihood that Paul was in the crowd yelling, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, that he had been one of the ones there that day. And when you as a humble sinner acknowledge your need of God, you recognize as you've shaken your fist at heaven, you too in multiple ways have said, crucify Jesus, crucify Jesus, crucify Jesus. I'll be on the throne, not Jesus, not Jesus, not Jesus, me. Paul recognized that he'd been a persecutor. But now we don't know. We don't know if Paul was there or not, but we can think that maybe he was. But we do know just a couple years later he was there when Stephen the deacon was faithfully witnessing. And Paul was there when Stephen the deacon was, uh, was killed. And afterwards, Paul gained permission from the high priest there in Jerusalem to go to other places too and kidnap and bring Christians back to Jerusalem. In Acts 9, we read that Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples. And he was going as far as Damascus in Syria to hunt them down, breathing threats and murder. We're going to get you out of here and I'm going to kill you. And perhaps he did because some of them did die. Does that sound familiar to you? Religious zealots persecuting Christians to the death in Syria? That's what Paul was. We don't like those people, do we? We wouldn't have liked Saul of Tarsus either. There's no scenario where we said, we want to hang around with that terrorist, that guy. We certainly never would have thought he'd turn into one of the great apostles or a pastor of a local church, do we? No chance. But that was what Paul was formerly. He'd been a blasphemer. He'd been a persecutor. And he also says he had been an insolent man. What does that mean? The word insolent means rude. It means disrespectful. Paul says, I was a rude, disrespectful man. Well, that's no surprise. Paul's disrespect for Jesus had led to disrespect for people, and it often happens that way. Those who don't fear God, those who don't love God, oftentimes don't respect others and love them in Jesus' name. Folks, I think disrespect and rudeness is a sign of a weak or non-existent relationship with Jesus. I think some people are rude and disrespectful because they don't know the Lord. I think some professing Christians and some actual Christians are rude and disrespectful because they haven't spent time with Jesus in a while in prayer and devotion. And so anger rises up in them. They get in the flesh like everybody else. And then whether it's in person or online, they say some of the most rude and disrespectful things like others do also. And I've just gotten in the habit over the years as I've seen... Celebrity Christians and others say rude, disrespectful things. And we all know it's rude and disrespectful. I've gotten in the habit of just putting an asterisk by their name because it's not, there's been many times where later on you've seen, oh, their fall came. And many times the fall comes in an area that they were criticizing somebody else in. Check your heart. Deal with your heart. 
as we're going to see, the Apostle Paul, he became bold as a lion in his speech, right? He was bold as a lion in his speech. But he viewed insolence as a sin, and he wanted, to want to be, he wanted it to be one of the things he did formerly, not presently. Now, your formerlies may be different, but they were just as serious as the sins to God. And if you're really a believer now, you want such things to be in your past. <laughs> I love how Peter says, the time past is sufficient for all that sexual sin we were involved in. And Paul said, such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you've been called to something different. Say yes to the different that God has for you now. But look at the end of verse 13. Paul says, I obtained mercy because those things I did ignorantly in unbelief. Now here's the good news for non-believers. The Bible describes all the sins in the past as not as big as unbelief is. Unbelief, since Jesus came and died on the cross for our sins, unbelief goes to the head of the list. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Verse 17 says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. But John 3.18 is crucial in this regard. Let's turn to it. John 3.18 So we know the mission of Jesus to come into the world to save sinners. God loved the world so much that Jesus came and did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves on the cross. If you believe in him, you have eternal life. Verse 18 says, he who believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. When you put John 3, 16, 17, and 18 together, what do you have? The fact that Everyone is already condemned because of their sin. They're already going to stand before a holy God that can't tolerate sin and have to give an account. When you turn to Christ, when you believe in him, that sin gets transferred to the cross, and Christ has already dealt with it for you, so you have righteous standing even though you don't deserve it, right? You're found not guilty even though you were guilty as sin. You're found not guilty because of Christ's righteousness. But if you fail to believe that, what does it mean? It means you still are on the highway to hell. You're still in your sin. You're still condemned. And so the only sin that's going to be responsible for anybody going to hell is the sin of unbelief, even though they might have done all kinds of formalities, and their formalities are different. That's why in John 16, when Jesus said, I'm going to give you a helper, the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he's going to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. And then he says, of sin because of what? Because they don't believe in me. So if you're a non-believer, the first thing is recognizing that you're a sinner who has the need God says you have. Recognizing that Jesus is the Savior, has done for you what the Bible says he's done. And turning to him in faith, having your sins forgiven. And then God puts his Holy Spirit inside of you and he begins working on all the formerlies. All the formerlies. A lot of people can't come to Christ because they say, well, I I could never give that up or that up or that up. That's secondary to acknowledging your need, who Jesus is, turning to him in faith, laying down your arms of rebellion. He'll give you the power to work on the formerlies. That's the tremendous truth of the gospel. I like how John Calvin said it on page one of the first edition of his Institutes in 1536. Listen to this. God is merciful and gentle, ready to receive the miserable and poor that flee to his mercy and put their trust in him. 
prepared to spare and pardon if any ask a favor of him. Hey, God, can I have a favor? Will you forgive my sorry self and my sins? John Calvin said, if you ask that favor of God, God will do it. He's willing to succor and give aid if any ask for his help. Willing to save any who put all their trust in him and cleave to him. John Calvin believed in a sinner turning to Christ in prayer. Recognizing you're a sinner. Asking him to forgive you and receiving his forgiveness. Folks, prayer is the language of faith. Prayer is the language of faith. When you acknowledge your need and say, God, have merciful on me, a sinner, he delights to forgive. Well, folks, Paul had received exceeding grace. Verses 14 and 15. Verses 14 and 15. He says in verse 14, And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. I like that. Grace was exceedingly abundant. He could have said, He had received grace, and we'd understand what he means, God's riches at Christ's expense. But that wasn't enough to say it for what he'd experienced. So he said he had received abundant grace. But that wasn't enough to describe what he'd experienced. So he said, I received exceedingly abundant grace. Man, that's the language of a heart that loves God and is hot on fire for God. He could have used the word amazing grace, couldn't he? Like the old uh, slave trader, John Newton, who had realized how wicked he had been and turned to Christ in belief and got saved and then wrote Amazing Grace, that God can save a wretch like me. And that's the number one problem in America right now. People don't see themselves as wretches who need God. Amazing Grace. But if you recognize your need... He'll be a sweet and great Savior to you. Christ is the great Savior who can save, Paul acknowledged. We are the great sinners who need saving. When William Carey, if you have never read about the story of William Carey, so awesome. He did so much for Christ as a missionary in India. Translated the Bible into 40 dialects. (laughs) Some of the places in the north of India that he worked on have an amazingly high percentage of Christians in them. 200 years later, I mean, it's just an amazing life, a life lived for God's glory and to advance uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. But when he he lay dying, a man came to him and said, I want to get your eulogy right. I want to get your obituary right. And he said, hey, when I die, you don't say anything about how great William Carey was. You tell him how great William Carey's Savior is. And that's what he wanted it done. Folks, look at verse 15. Paul says, this is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptance. Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Do you think of yourself as the chief of sinners? Or do you think yourself of yourself as a pretty good old boy, pretty good old girl? The world talks a lot about self-esteem, but those who try to gain better self-esteem by the way the world says to get it oftentimes have all kinds of insecurities and frustrations and hurts. Now, I have not been accused of having a low self-esteem in a long, long time, but it's not self-esteem, it's Christ-esteem. See, after I became a Christian, I learned gospel math. Have you learned gospel math? Here's gospel math. Before a holy and righteous God, I was a zero when Christ saved me. Nothing. I was a wretch that needed saving. But in Christ Jesus, I'm a 10. Because Jesus is a 10, right? And Jesus lives inside of me. So I don't view myself as a zero. I view myself as a 10. I've been created in God's image and likeness. I have infinite value that way. I've also been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. He washed my soul clean. Now, I know how to do math, right? If you could take Jesus away from me right now, what would you have? You'd have nothing all over again. 
This is our story. This is our song, praising our Savior all the day long. Now, praise the Lord. The Bible makes clear that God is not one who gives and then pulls back. If you ever truly have eternal life by turning to him, you don't lose it. You've got everlasting life. Gospel math. For Paul, there was now faith where there had been unbelief. There was love where there had been hate. Let's bring it home with verses 16 and 17. Paul knew God was using his story for God's glory, and he'll use your story for his glory. Look at verse 16. For this reason I obtain mercy, that in me first Christ might show all patience as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Now to the king, to God be honor and glory. According to Acts 9, Paul had been a terrorist. He had kidnapped and persecuted men and women of faith. But Jesus himself appeared to Saul on the Damascus road and said, I'm the one you've been persecuting. Paul said, I ain't persecuting God or voice from heaven. I've been persecuting the church. And Jesus said, yeah, when you mess with my body, the church, you're messing with me. That's my bride there. You mess with my bride, you're messing with me, Jesus said. And Paul came to realize that Jesus was God, and he'd been a blasphemer, he'd been a persecutor, he'd been an insolent man. And something like scales fell off of his eyes as he realized that Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the Messiah that he longed for as a Jewish young man. And now he came to know him personally. I, I love how it says that in Acts 9. It says that Paul had, uh, he had kicked against the goads, right? Uh, he he uh, like a spurs in a horse's side, God's Holy Spirit had been convicting Saul like that. And that's been happening with some of you. Spurs from the Holy Spirit saying, you need God, you need God, you need God. You need to turn from your sin. You need to get right with God. He has a purpose and plan for your life. And you've been kicking back. Paul was a fellow that kicked back against those things. But finally, Paul surrendered. He acknowledged the sinner that he was, the Savior that Jesus was, and he turned to him in faith. And you know what Paul said here? He said, I know what the story is. That people looking on will say, if God can save Paul, he can save me. If God can save Danny Campbell, he can save me. And your story is for God's glory. Others will look at you and say, if God can save that gal, if God can save that guy, he can save me why does God do it why does God even why doesn't he just send us on to hell like we deserve he does it for the same reason he does everything else his glory and he loves a good redemption story heaven says when somebody turns to Christ the angels in heaven rejoice will you bow your heads thank you for joining us for today's edition of Tabernacle Today To learn more about The Tabernacle, please visit our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. There you may access additional Tabernacle Today podcasts as well as other resources. If you don't have a church home or happen to be visiting the area, we'd love to welcome you to one of our weekly services. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to seeing you back for another edition of Tabernacle Today. Tabernacle Today.